O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful, and sure, for you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin, the palace of aliens is a city no more, it will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you, cities of ruthless nations will fear you, for you have been a refuge to the poor, a refuge to the needy in their distress, a shelter from the rainstorm, and a shade from the heat." When the blast of the ruthless was like a winter rainstorm, the noise of aliens like heat in a dry place, you subdued the heat with the shade of clouds. The song of the ruthless was stilled. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations, he will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all the faces and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and they went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, maltreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then the king said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing a wedding robe. So the king said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of the Lord. I saw Jesus said that there would be another parable this week, and so I thought I would preach on anything else. I'm just joking. The parable is a difficult, yet a worthwhile text that at first may appear to be about a capricious king, but I'd argue it's really about gracious invitations and gifts. However, 
I do mean it, that this won't be the focus of our sermon this morning. Our text that we'll focus on will be from Isaiah. It was Friday, July 17th, 2015. I was in Chicago, Little Village, if you know your neighborhoods. Every Friday that summer, I went to the Marie Joseph's House of Hospitality and spent time with the men who lived there. All of them were immigrants, awaiting court dates and paperwork, waiting for the right kind of visa or documentation. Some had lived in this house, you can see up there. Some had lived there for a couple of years, waiting. Others had been there just a few weeks. When I walked in on that particular Friday, the house smelled so good that my mouth instantly watered. This was a regular occurrence. Food was always being made and shared in this place. I followed the delicious scent of spices and smoke to the kitchen and found Hobby, who was from Rwanda, standing over a hot stove. I asked Hobby how I could help, if there was anything I could do, and he just wanted me to test the food. I said, that's fine by me. I started, though, to realize just how much food Hobby was preparing. Pounds and pounds of chicken, a giant pot of beef in a thick stew, multiple pots of rice, salad with veggies from the garden out back. Hobby was a giant of a man, but there was no way that all of this food was for him. And so I asked, Hobby, what in the world is all of this food for? And with sweat gleaming down his brow, he told me that today was the beginning of Eid, a celebration that occurs at the end of Ramadan, a month of fasting and prayer for Muslims. He continued, many in the house went downtown to pray. And when they get back, they're going to be hungry. The food was almost complete when the men who were Muslim in the house came back, drenched in sweat and an obvious need of some food and something to drink. To their surprise, Hobby, a Christian from Rwanda, had prepared a feast big enough for the whole house to join. No one asked. No one expected it. I sat at the table with 12 or so men from at least 10 different countries, every shade of brown, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, and people who could care less. All sitting around the table, sharing recipes, stories of their homeland. It was a feast I won't forget. Nothing provides comfort or gives us hope like a feast. They help us celebrate major holidays, weddings, funerals, everything in between. When was the last time you had a feast? What was served? Who was there? What'd you celebrate? Yet if you're like me, 
it may feel that there's not too much to celebrate these days. If you haven't seen the images or heard the reports about what's happening between Israel and Hamas, it's harrowing. The brutality is unforeseen in the region. Hamas using hostages of all ages as shields and bargaining chips, the indiscriminate killing, the lack of concern for civilian life is nothing short of evil. The blockade on water and electricity and food in Gaza is inhumane. Israel will continue to be relentless in their response as a ground invasion is prepped at the Gazan border. The picture, though, that I can't get out of my own head are those of parents. Tears streaming down their face, wondering where their children are and if they're alive. And because of this, all week, I have struggled with the violence that abounds in our first text. Isaiah praises God for laying waste to a city, destroying it until it is a heap, never to be rebuilt. Undoubtedly, Many have tried and will continue to try to make a connection between this text in Isaiah and all of the strife that's happening in the Holy Land. Some will even say that it is proof of good news. Yet context is always helpful. This passage is often called an apocalyptic text, meaning it deals with the end time not necessarily a specific event in history or moment in time. And while there's no explicit reference to what city is laid ruin, the text is clear. It's one that was ruthless to those who were weak or poor and vulnerable. That's why God stepped in to shelter those who needed refuge. However, however, what follows all of the destruction is the vision of hope and promise of peace our weary world needs now more than ever. After God brings low and humbles the ruthless and the proud, God also raises them up to a mountaintop where God has prepared a feast. On this mountaintop, Isaiah says, the Lord will make for all peoples a feast full of the best food and drink imaginable. And if it's a feast, it's a celebration. And a celebration where war and violence and death are no more. The veil of mourning that weighs down on all peoples and all nations has finally been removed and while guests open their mouths to dine on the most delicious of food, God opens wide and swallows up death. And those same people, those same parents with tears streaming down their faces, God sits beside them at the table and wipes those tears away until they fall no more. 
It is this promised feast that gives us hope in such a time of unthinkable violence. And you might say that this sounds too good to be true. It'll never happen. And in our lifetime, it may not. But I know for certain that hospitality and fellowship between people who are radically different is possible. Hobby's feast showed me that. We all know that true acts of love and forgiveness are made possible through Jesus Christ. You've experienced them. You've seen them. So I have to believe that somehow the grace and love of God made known to us in Jesus Christ will one day bring together Israelis and Palestinians, Russian and Ukrainians, people of all nations at a feast where food and fellowship abound and tears and death are no more. It seems too good to be true. It isn't that how the love and grace of God work. But until that day, what can we do over here in our safety and in our privilege? I can think of three things. First, as Paul suggests in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And so we request an end to the violence, liberation for all those in bondage, and justice for all. In the words of Rabbi Sharon Browse, we must dare to hold the humanity, the heartache, and the need for security of the Jewish people while also holding the humanity, the dignity, and the need for justice for the Palestinian people. Far too long, these two have been set up as incompatible, but this is a false binary. The only liberation will be a shared liberation. The only justice is a justice for all. And so for all of that, we pray. Secondly, give. Give to Lutheran World Relief or to Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services. There is need for aid, and the need will only continue. People have begun to flee and will continue to flee, both Israel and Palestine. Both of those organizations help with both of those things. Lastly, protest all of this violence with a feast. Practice what it will be like at that great banquet on the mountain. Invite and sit with people who are different from you. Make lavish meals full of good food as signs of hospitality and abundance. Come to this feast that Christ has prepared for you in which we receive the fullness of God's grace and receive a foretaste of the feast to come. There are too few feasts and far too many wars. And had it not been for that feast in Chicago on that hot Friday afternoon, I would say that the promised feast in Isaiah is too good to be true. But there around that table, I experienced a portion of what it might be like 
when God makes the feast for all people and we sit together in peace with tears no more, saying that this is the Lord for whom we've waited, let us be glad and rejoice in God's salvation. Amen.